Hi, my name is Jeremy Wagstaff. You're listening to Living in a Pandemic. Just a word before we get started. In the last 24 hours, one of my friends, who has been kind enough to share her experiences of lockdown on this podcast, found herself in the maelstrom of media attention. As a former journalist, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. She's asked me to take down the podcast in which I interviewed her, and of course I've complied. This podcast is all about how our lives, physical, mental, emotional, are being affected by this pandemic. I'm grateful to her and all my other friends who have let me ask them about their lives, and I absolutely respect her request for some privacy. To me, the biggest lesson I've drawn from these interviews is that we don't really know what people are going through, and so we shouldn't be quick to judge. This pandemic isn't going to be over tomorrow, and neither will this podcast. Thanks to the people who have agreed to talk. My respect and gratitude to them. It's April 28th, 2020. There are 2.98 million confirmed cases of COVID-19, 9,096 of them in Indonesia. Around the world, 214,146 people have died. Hi, Dini. Hi, 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 hi. We last spoke to Dini a month ago in her highland home on Indonesia's island of Sulawesi. You'd be hard-pressed to find a home further from the capital of Jakarta, although it's Indonesia, so of course there are still thousands of islands remoter than hers. She was balancing the business and spiritual worlds and pondering how the pandemic was already changing the social habits of her fellow Indonesians. I wanted to find out how she was coping and which part of her was winning out, the well-travelled cosmopolitan or the woman who had chosen to live among her husband's ethnic clan, the Tarajans. <laughs> I, I can hear you fine. How are you? Oh, good. good, good. Hello, gentlemen. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So thanks very much for another session, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to listen to the other podcast. I only managed to listen to the one in Australia, the Pepper Farmer. Uh-huh. Oh my God, so sad. And hmm. the one in Kunming. So I, I will listen one by one. Yeah, I'd be inter- interested in your thoughts. Yeah, so interesting. How has life been for you since we last spoke? <laughs> yeah, th- this this conversation makes me like kind of make a, a short journal. So, because... Mm-hmm. It is an interesting time, and to update you about, yeah, uh, more than a week ago, you know how how we have all these these WhatsApp groups, yeah? so many WhatsApp groups, and right. one of the WhatsApp group I have is with the rich ladies of Jakarta, <laughs> and, <laughs> and we 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 are kind of uh, friends, close but not that close, you know. We just mm-hmm. have to be happy, we travel together, we eat together, uh, we do social things, I mean, uh, charity here and there, like that. Uh, uh, and some of them are quite like, uh, we've been friends for more than 20 years or even 30 mm-hmm. years. But it's always happy, happy. But about more than a week ago, I sort of felt low. I felt like so sad. And I was thinking, oh my God, you know, I thought I was a strong woman, like, you know, doing things and this and that. But then I want to process it. I want to admit I was sad. Like, I was sad. And I feel guilty also because 
in a way I don't have any reason to be sad because we have food, we have, we live in a nice house, you know, like mm. our, my, our mm. children are okay. Uh, they're adults, they can make money, they're good kids, they're in Australia, they're safe. But I just feel so low. And then I have this naughty, naughty urge. So I shared that with my happy and rich friends in Jakarta. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting, the, the response. Eight, eight of them then start telling me to cheer up. Everything is going to be okay. And, you know, the standard happy, happy thing. But two, two one by one called me and we had like our first very deep personal conversation in our 20 or 30 years of friendship. You know, like they also admit that they they feel low, they're scared, they're sad. And it, it became like very beautiful, deep, meaningful conversation. I said, huh, this is interesting. And we get to know each other better compared to all these years that we, ha <laughs> ha in, in restaurants in Jakarta, you know. So that's one, that's one of the highlights <laughs> uh, since we last talked. And I sort of like make a point also to check on my other friends. Like one I was worried about because she lives alone. She's divorced. She lives in a, a small apartment in South Jakarta. And I checked on her a few days ago and I was worried. And she is a cancer survivor, huh? breast cancer survivor. And when I asked her, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm used to being alone. I love being alone. And this is just great for me, she said. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I can still work through Zoom. I'm busy. I'm writing, reading, and yeah, having meetings. So in a way, I guess it's different for every people. Right. That's in- really interesting. Yeah. The, the conversations you had with your rich friends from Jakarta, the two <laughs> personal conversations, <laughs> did you get a sense that they were feeling something similar to what you were feeling as a result of this pandemic? Yeah, it's uh, like one of them, like one of them, I didn't expect her to be like spiritual. And she was saying, you know, Dini, the earth is sad and uh, Mother Earth is sad. So that's one thing she said. And you are, you are living in the village. You are close to nature. So you are feeling and absorbing that, you know, while we in the city, we maybe we don't really feel like that, you know. Mm. So... Consider yourself lucky that you can like feel what the earth is feeling. I think, wow, this is from a lady who who like goes to Gucci and Prada every six months also in Europe. (laughs) (laughs) That is interesting. Do you think that this because of the pandemic that becoming more in touch with those kind of things, or do you think that was always there and it just has this crisis has uh, empowered or emboldened? people to speak out and admit that they aren't mentally uh, in a strong place? I think it's always there because I know they are the, the two of them are like strong women. Uh, mm. But it's like the opening up, the sharing of like, so it's always there, but I didn't realize that, uh, or we didn't realize in, that we are like that, you know, because mm. we always mm. talk superficially, we have fun superficially. Right, right. And how your own feelings, you're feeling the isolation. Is that what's affecting you, do you think? I don't don't know because, uh, again, that's why I feel guilty because this is where I want to be. I've been wanting... Mm. I've been wanting to take sabbatical leave, which nobody believes. Uh, And then 
I want to stay in this house because you built this house like 11 years ago because I wanted to retire. I want to be here. I want to read and write. And now this is where I am, you know, like, because since we finished the house, then somehow I, I was building Toraja Melo and I had to go back to Jakarta to do marketing. But now I'm here. So isolation, not really, yeah. So I don't know. I think I, I don't have like what they say, what cabin fever or I don't think right. so. Mm-hmm. I live in a beautiful, beautiful house with beautiful nature and I have my dog. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so um, maybe, maybe not in that way, huh, Jeremy? Not like isolation right. Right. like that. Yeah. I suppose some people are feeling that, you know, obviously things are not normal now mm-hmm. and there's a hope that things would re- return to normal quickly. But there's also an anxiety that, that will be a very drawn out process. And maybe when it occurs, the normality will be different to what is what went before. And then maybe people are kind of going through a almost a kind of mourning process because they, they realize that there's aspects to that life that irritated them, but also they took for granted the, the best parts they took for granted. And at least for now, those, those things are not there. And the uncertainty about what the world will be like when we do come back from the pandemic. It may be an absolute return to normal and all the fears are unjustified, but there is a sense of uncertainty about that. Maybe this is what's affecting people, giving them this blue mood. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know whether I will will be answering you. I I was looking at, because we were supposed to start a program in March, to, to scale up the business of the Raja Melo and of course to increase the income of the weavers in our community. And we are in the process, process of signing the MOU. But when I look at the proposal which we uh, made last November and then revised in February, and then looking at the MOU, and I, I look at it, I said, oh my God, this is irrelevant now, you know? I don't think things will be the same after uh, COVID-19. And I was thinking we are in a kind of war situation. And after this is a post-war situation, which we have to think about basic things like food, health, sanity, you know, like your spirit, uh, spiritual or the your soul. Because mm. many people are traumatized. And I just look at it and my God, we have to rewrite this. And while, while we are, we are just basically like days away from signing because then now it has been postponed to June. And I was struggling with it. And I was, uh, and then I talked to my internal main team in Rajamelo and they said, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then let me talk to the, to the donor then. Yeah. I was worried that he would respond differently. But when I called him, I said, Pak, I think we should change this. This is irrelevant. I, I don't think we can continue like, it's everything is normal because now even our weavers are starting to get hungry. I talked to some like yesterday or there is no food. With this lockdown in Indonesia, there is no cooking oil, no rice to the outer parts of Indonesia, to the islands, right? And I just talked to our weavers in Lambata. I said, Ibu, our uh, harvest failed because we had no rain. So we had barely enough corn to eat. And then there is no rice delivery now from Java because there is no boat. And said, so what should I do? What should we do? You know, like things like that. You know, it's like basic, basic needs. I, I asked them, do you still get fish from the sea? 
Yes, but rarely because they are not allowed to go in one boat, like many people in one boat, right? So it's everything is like going back to basic. But when I talked to this executive director, then he said, yeah, let's change it because it doesn't fit anymore. And then even, even he shared with me, Ibu, uh, he said, logically, the corona will only end when we find the vaccine. This is my theory. And the vaccine will not be ready in 18 to 24 months. So most likely, if things go back to quote-unquote normal, it will be 2022. And then, even then, there will be a recession, depression. So we have to think like that. So yes, please change your proposal. So I don't know whether I'm, I'm answering your question, but you know, as much as we want to be positive for our personal life, in a way, things are more or less okay, but in different layers and different communities, not okay. Because a lot of your the, the the Weavers Company, I guess we should explain, was to try to revive and and preserve some of the traditional weaving industries in the more remote parts of Indonesia, right? Yeah, but the main the main purpose is basically to cut poverty and to give option to the rural poor women of Indonesia so that they have mm-hmm. another option rather than being migrant workers. Because when they become migrant workers to Malaysia, Saudi Arabia and all that, many of them come back like pregnant, abuse, even death. And we see that uh, weaving is actually across Indonesia more than batik. Batik is only in Java. So if they can make money from weaving, then they can stay home with their family, with their children, instead of going away and and breaking the family apart. You know, there are so many broken families across the islands of the families of people of women who who work abroad. But the secondary, yes, you're right. The secondary is to revive the weaving art and culture of Indonesia. Right. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know Indonesia, it's 14,000 odd islands. Mm. And as you get further east in Indonesia away from Java, the islands get smaller and rely more heavily on those those boats moving between them to deliver, mm-hmm. as you say, rice and other supplies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, mm. right, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite moving. And I was just reading an article from Antara saying that even in districts not far from you, I guess, in Sigi district, yeah, uh-huh. the datelines Palu that uh, farmers are having to go out and till the land because they need to be need to cultivate rice and obviously they realize or most of them are aware of the risks they're taking mm. in order to to survive a lot of mm. Indonesians are going to have to abandon or suspend sort of the social distancing the kind of things that might mm-hmm. might keep them healthy and safe right it, it becomes yeah. a once you start to um, get hungry then you really have to throw caution to the winds for a lot of these people. Yeah. So, for example, our neighbors here around our house, they still go to the rice field, but mm-hmm. it is not a crowded place, maybe like Java, but so they go with their families. So usually father, mother, and two children, they go and do the, the rice field. And in Toraja also, we have this organization, the Village Tourism Organization, which we established two years ago. Now, because there is no tourists, obviously, so I just had a meeting with them and they are, they are starting, uh, you know, planting vegetables and fruits mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. uh, at home. So I think we, we will focus on that which is which is i think it's good at the moment what is the the situation then in sulawesi is there a kind of lockdown taking place or what what is the status yeah the bupati has uh, has closed the borders between kabupaten toraja utara 
and Tanatoraja and the outer because we are in the mountains, right? And then from mm-hmm. the mountains, you go down to the bigger cities like Makassar. For example, from our Kabupaten, Toraja Utara or North Toraja, your ID card will okay. check whether we are right. from there or not. So basically, we are close. And no buses are allowed. Private cars, you have to follow, you know, one in front, one in the back and mass. In general, people follow, but the markets are still open. The supermarket mm-hmm. is are still open until noon. Except mm. for the pharmacies, they have to open until 9 p.m. It's quieter, but this is a quiet place. So mm. I feel like safer here than in Jakarta, obviously. Right. Have there been any cases locally, do you know of? Is, is there a sort of growing feeling that close or does it still feel somewhat distant? It's very interesting because we talk to the Bupati, we talk to the police head and all that. But, but they're surprised and say, no, we don't have any case of corona here. But And then I ask, have any, has anybody been tested? No. <laughs> you know? so, so I said, okay. <laughs> So no, we we don't have the rapid test, we don't have the full blown test. Of course, there is no case. And then what I feel is wrong, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, because the central government has this program about giving the basic need, like the basic food, like the rice, uh, cooking oil, sugar, and all that. And then they had this occasion in town in Rantepau for for. For the official to give them away, and then people just like like 100 or so people just crowded in. So there is no physical distancing. So that created a brouhaha. And then also, I think what we need here because we are not hungry in Toraja. Huh? It's different from uh, Nusa Tenggara Timur and all these areas. We are not hungry here because we still have uh, our own rice and fish and vegetables. Uh, as little as what we we have, but giving this sambako, yeah, the basic needs. I think we need more uh, seeds, seeds for vegetables and fruits, rather than giving away things like that, which often go to the wrong people anyway. Right. Yeah. Sambako is the uh, the basic commodities. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Rice cooking oil. So, how do you feel this is going to? You're obviously going to kind of revise the your th- that project. <laughs> But, yeah, yeah. but as you say, it might not be something that you can implement yeah. for, for some time. Are there ways that uh, you or others can help those people in the more remote islands who are feeling cut off and already sort of feeling the, feeling the damage? So we are doing uh, a campaign called Weaving in the Time of Corona, which we are going to do it more like regularly and more actively starting this week and next week. Because I keep asking them, what do you need? And they said, please buy our weaving. And then internally, locally, we will manage. We either buy barter or whatever. But please buy our weaving and send us cash. And then we'll take care of ourselves. Because our communities already established cooperative, huh, Jeremy. So they're not like scattered all over. So they have cooperative. They have cooperasi simpan pinjam. They have cooperasi produksi. So basically, we buy the weaving from the cooperative, and then we pay the cooperative, and then the cooperative will will manage the members. In some area, already starting with barter. So the cooperative have rice, cooking oil, sugar, and all that. So the weavers will give the weaving, and then uh, they will be paid with rice and what other things that they need. Right. So, so that's 
And because I was asking, do you, do we have to raise funds to send you food or things like that? Said, no, no, please focus on our weaving. Right. Yeah. They're so, adamant about that. So if, if people listening to this want to help, what, what, uh, where should they go? Where can they buy the weaving to help? Uh, yeah. Go to our Instagram, Instagram Toraja Melo. Mm-hmm. And Facebook page Toraja Melo means a beautiful Toraja. But now we are not okay. only in Toraja; we are we are in East Indonesia. Okay, but, and yeah. we'll put a link into the, uh, the oh, bottom of this podcast. Oh, mm. that would be great! Yeah, that would be mm. great. Yeah. So, for you personally, how do you feel this is going to go forwards? So you're sort of feeling these low moments, but mm-hmm. obviously there are sort of things going on. Do you do you just feel it's sort of rather bumpy, or do you feel that you're in a kind of mental slide downhill here how does it how does it feel some days good some days bad yeah i think some days good some days bad and luckily uh, i i have friends and now we have like zoom happy hour <laughs> so everybody drinks in their own houses but just show up i have like beautiful siblings sisters and brother they are all in california so i guess zooming regularly and also my with my family my children and my siblings help maybe one sad thing is i cannot even visit and see my mother-in-law who lives like half an hour away because we are worried that we may do her harm more than good and mm-hmm. she can talk on the phone but she cannot obviously do zoom that's kind of like sad for me mm-hmm. yeah i guess it's a bit bumpy and in a way i want to admit or recognize and enjoy it, like the up and down. You know, maybe this is the only time because I've been busy and running around. But no, that is like, okay, I'm sad today. Okay, then what? <laughs> mm. uh, I, I feel so lazy. Or oh, after the sadness come the laziness. And I say, I feel so lazy. I don't want, I don't feel like doing anything. But suddenly I'm quite involved, like doing like in the three organization on top of the Raja Melo. So I have to do some work, but I feel lazy. And then what? Last week I was lazy. I hardly did any job. And also this week I have so, so much to catch on, huh, Jeremy? <laughs> but I want to, what do you call it? A treasure it. I want to like go with the flow that I am lazy, you know? I've never been lazy like almost all my life, but I want to admit I'm lazy, I'm down, and I don't want to do anything. I don't even want to read or... That's Dini from her Tanataraja home. It's hard to overestimate the difference the internet makes at a time like this. If this was even 10 years ago, maybe five, then Indonesians who weren't in the big cities and main islands would have had trouble loading a Facebook page on their phone, let alone doing a video call. This is the first global pandemic in a hundred years. But the changes that have made it bearable for the hundreds of millions of people under lockdown really have only been felt in the past few years. We'll be going back to Dinny in a few weeks' time, of course, to see how she's getting on. If you have questions for her or for me or comments, you can reach me at pandemic at cleftstick.com. You've been listening to Life in a Pandemic, produced by myself, Jeremy Wagstaff, and Sari Sulasono. If you're not already doing so, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and find old ones. And if you like it enough, make your feelings known on iTunes or whatever service you're listening to this on. If you'd like to comment or participate, please drop us a line at pandemic at cleftstick.com. My name is Jeremy Wagstaff. Goodbye for now and stay well wherever you are.